We're going to have a time of um, hearing from God's word, and the Bible reading from this morning is from Luke chapter 8, verses uh, 40 to 56, which can be found on page 1037 of your Red Pew Bibles. I'll give you a minute to turn to it. So it's page 1037, um, reading from um, chapter 8, verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, he came. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he had ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, teach us by your word today. And show us again the goodness of Jesus. Amen. Good morning. It's great to see you. How are you doing? Hope you've enjoyed a good January so far. My name is Sam. I'm one of the uh, ministry staff here at, at St. James. I'm excited to dig into this part of God's word with you. Um, keep the Bibles in front of you open. Crack open your phone if that's your preference. Um, we're going to be moving through this passage together this morning. Um, about this time last year, I remember I was hanging out with a friend on a day off. We were in Newtown. We were kind of wandering around the, the cafes and the shops. I love Newtown. I'm a bit of an inner Westie. But as we were wandering, I remember kind of pausing because I felt this sharp pain in my mouth. I remember thinking, uh-oh, this might not be good. It died away after a second, but then five minutes later it came back and it didn't stop. I, uh, I couldn't close my mouth fully. Every time I moved my jaw, it would hurt, like, you know, the, the sharp pain that kind of stabs. Ugh. And, I, and I said to my friend, hey, I'm really sorry. Do you mind if, 
I go to the dentist. I, my mouth is hurting a little bit. Now, my family know this especially. I have the tendency to play down being in pain. So when I say to my friend, do you mind if we go to the dentist, I'm actually desperate to go, right? Um, I'm freaking out. Uh, as a kid, uh, I had to have some of my baby teeth taken out because I was not a very good brusher. And so when they were taken out, you could see that, like the proof was in the pudding. There was the hole in the teeth. And so as I'm driving nervously to the dentist, I'm kind of imagining huge brown holes in my molars. I'm kind of running my teeth over the back of my molars, trying to feel anything. I am desperate. But it turned out after an x-ray or two that my wisdom teeth were coming through. And this one especially on my top left, instead of coming down like normal, was coming in towards my other teeth. Ooh, that's right, yeah. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> uh, and so I had to have them out a couple of months later. My, my desperation was for a very good reason. I wonder if um, you can remember the last time you felt desperate. Desperate in a big way, desperate maybe in a smaller way. Maybe you were desperate to get your kids those Taylor Swift tickets. Maybe you were desperate to get yourself those Taylor Swift tickets. There's definitely some of us. Maybe you were desperate just for some uninterrupted rest time. Maybe you were desperate that your performance would be good enough for that promotion. Maybe you were desperate for something to be fixed for a relationship to be mended. And I guess there's a whole bunch of things I could mention because in reality, there's a lot of things we can feel desperate about. We know that feeling, the, the, the pit in the stomach, the associated feelings, hopelessness, despair. Our passage today has two desperate people. I'm sure you heard that as Carmen read the Bible so well for us. My hope is that this morning, as we understand these two people and how Jesus relates to them, we might be encouraged and challenged. So, who do we meet in this story? Well, firstly, we meet a man called Jairus, right at the start of the story. And Luke, the author, clues us in. He says, this man Jairus, he's a synagogue leader. It means he's a local religious leader. The synagogue is where Jewish people would gather to hear teaching from the Old Testament. So he's come out of maybe a little bit like Alan, our senior minister. Except for the fact that this is ancient Israel. And so religion and community and politics all kind of really intertwined. So it would be like if Alan was minister here, but also the mayor of Croydon or on the local council. And as he walked down the street, people would recognize him immediately. This is what Jairus would have been like. Known, respected, maybe even loved by the people of his town for his work in the synagogue. And Luke includes this detail for a very important reason. He wants us to see how different Jairus is from the second person that we meet. This woman is nameless. She kind of appears out of the crowd. And she's been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Now, we aren't given any detail about why this started or where the bleeding is coming from. But we can know one thing about this. Because of her bleeding, she would have been a social and religious outcast. In ancient Israel, someone who was bleeding was considered unclean. They couldn't participate in sacrifices or kind of synagogue meetings or even be around other people because to touch someone else's blood would make you unclean. But normally, bleeding stops, right? A kid falls off their scooter, it scabs up after a couple of days, we're all good. 
After that, you could return to worshipping God. But this woman had been bleeding constantly for 12 years. Imagine that. Imagine being a social and religious outcast for 12 years. And as we hold kind of these two people together, as you look at it in your Bibles, do you see how different they are? Jairus, respected, powerful, a key part of his town's worship of God. Known by people. He had a family, a wife and a child. And then this woman, nameless, alone, unable to be part of normal town life, perhaps in pain physically, but definitely lonely, and unable to worship God as everyone else could. Two very different people that we get introduced to. And yet, they are united in this story. We get there, two stories told kind of as one sandwich. Luke, the author, is trying to make sure that we don't miss that despite the fact that they are different, they are trying to show us something radically similar. Because they are both desperate, aren't they? Jairus for his daughter to be healed. The woman for herself to be healed. And in their desperation, they both come to Jesus. Now, as we continue to imagine ourselves as Jairus and the woman, we can imagine how costly it might have been to come to Jesus. Jairus' reputation is on the line, isn't it? Coming to Jesus and begging on his knees probably wouldn't have looked good as the local synagogue leader, especially since some other religious leaders, as you read through Luke's gospel, have already decided that Jesus is a dangerous, dangerous religious figure. What would the people of Jairus' synagogue think as they saw Jairus on his knees? begging to this kind of rebel, outlaw preacher. Coming to Jesus could also be costly for this woman. She's putting herself at risk of hatred and further exclusion. Now, people probably didn't hate her because of her bleeding, but they might have if she decided to push her way through a crowd, touching this person and that all the way through to Jesus. Who knows what people would do if they learnt that she was there in the crowd? Who knows what they would do if her gamble doesn't pay off? For both the woman and Jairus, coming to Jesus could be very costly. And yet, our passage is so clear to us this morning. It is such an act of faith. Let's pick up from verse 47 together. The woman, seeing that she couldn't go unnoticed, she came to Jesus and fell at his feet. Notice that's exactly what Jairus does actually in verse 41. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Jesus says that her coming to him and touching him was an act of faith. I find this so encouraging. She has faith despite not really understanding how this healing worked. If you look again at verse 47, she seems to think that the healing comes through touching Jesus' cloak. That's her explanation. She's like, I I touched your cloak and I was healed. Jesus has to lovingly correct her and tell her that it was her faith that led to the healing. She doesn't know all the details, yet Jesus knows that she has faith in his power to heal. And it's similar with Jairus. Luke tells this story in such a way we're meant to feel the whiplash We have this glorious moment in verse 48. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And the very next verse, we hear about another daughter. 
not quite yet. We hear about another daughter, Jairus' daughter. Yet Jesus has the boldness to say, don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. The word believe there is actually the same word, faith, that Jesus says to the woman in a slightly different form. Jesus is saying, just have faith. And Jairus does, doesn't he? In his grief, he invites Jesus back to his house. He doesn't know what Jesus is going to do. Like the woman, he doesn't have all the details. But what he does have, like the woman, is faith. Do you see how similar Jairus and this woman are, despite their differences? They're both remarkably faithful people. Faithful despite knowing little about Jesus, knowing little about how he works. But they have desperate faith. And that opens us up to the second way of reading our way through this story. We've been reading it as the story of Jairus and the woman, two desperate yet faithful people. But we should also read it as how Jesus, God's son in the flesh, treats desperate yet faithful people. How does Jesus treat desperate yet faithful people? Well, he's so tender, isn't he? So tender. Look at how he talks to the woman. I think it's just the most beautiful thing. He calls her daughter. I wonder whether anyone had spoken to her so tenderly in 12 years. There's no chiding. There's no, well, that was a bit of a risky thing to do, wasn't it? Daughter, go in peace. And with Jairus' daughter, he speaks similarly. He calls her my child. Touches her, holds onto her, even when he didn't have to. Has her needs in mind after she comes back to life, asks for some food for her. Jesus is tender towards desperate yet faithful people. And in his tenderness, Jesus uses incredible power. Because it's his power that causes healing and resurrection, isn't it? What Jesus says to the woman and to Jairus can sometimes be a bit confusing for us. At face value, it looks like Jesus is saying, if you have enough faith, if you believe enough, then healing will happen. As if healing happens when faith is strong enough. When Jairus or the woman think the right things. But of course that's not the case, is it? Healing doesn't come from the power of our own faith. This is Jesus' power at work. And faith isn't our harnessing of Jesus' power as if we could control him. We already know that actually the woman didn't really even know how Jesus' power works. No, faith isn't the harnessing of Jesus' power. It's relying on it. Relying on Jesus to be powerful enough to do what maybe even no one else can. When Jesus says to the woman, your faith has healed you, what he means is that her reliance on him has led to that healing. When Jesus calls on Jairus to believe, he's calling on him to rely that Jesus has the power to do what no one else can. How does Jesus respond to desperate yet faithful people? Well, he is tender and he is powerful. And that's, that's the story. Neither of these people appear again in the Gospels. I would have loved to know kind of what happens to them afterwards, but we just don't find out. But I think the ending to this passage shows us that there is more to this story. Often Bible readers like me, we're confused by verse 56 as you look in the Bible. Jesus orders the parents, and presumably the young girl as well, to tell no one about this miracle. 
Why? Isn't Jesus interested in everyone knowing God through him? Why would he demand silence in the face of a literally life-changing display of power? It's because the story of Jairus and the woman, all the tenderness and power that Jesus shows, is still not the fullest expression of Jesus' healing work. It's still not the fullest expression. Jesus wants people to know him and his tenderness and power, but he wants people to know it at its fullness. Uh, one other thing that you might need to know about this story, uh, twice I've highlighted on the screen, when the word healed is used, it actually has a double meaning. The word healed in those places is actually the same Greek word for the word saved. It's another signpost within this story that there is more to Jesus' tenderness and power. It shows that Jairus and the woman and sorry, the woman and Jairus and his daughter don't just need healing and fixing, they need a savior. They need rescuing. And in response to de their desperate faith, Jesus is tender and powerful. He heals and he saves. And isn't that what the cross and the empty tomb are for us this morning? If you're a Christian believer, we know all the more the tenderness and power of Jesus on our behalf, don't we? Through the cross, we see Jesus saving of us, his taking of our sin, his complete work of forgiveness, his tenderness to care for us by taking our place. Through the cross, Jesus can say to you, daughter, son, your faith has saved you. Not your own power, but our reliance on his. And the resurrection, the glorious resurrection, where Jesus proved once and for all that he is the king of the universe. Where he proved that to him, death is merely sleep. That like that little girl, Jesus can one day take your hand and say, my child, get up, get up, get up. And so as we emerge from this story, as we see all the more clearly Jesus' tenderness and power, which by faith is as true for us as it was for Jairus and the woman, we come again to desperation. Um, here's a sad and maybe scary fact. Desperation is inevitable in 2024. Maybe quick periods, weeks, months. Here's a question for you. Where can you turn in your desperation this year? When that pit in your stomach begins to form, when you see things happening that you deeply don't want, when you would do anything, anything, to ensure a resolution to your desperation, what could you do? And I think the example of Jairus and the bleeding woman their example of desperate faith is so beautiful. Two very different people united in their reliance on Jesus' tenderness and power. Aren't, aren't we all different here in this room this morning? Aren't we all walking slightly different paths with the Lord? We experience desperation at different times, in different ways, to different extents. And yet, despite our difference, what we all need is a desperate faith in Jesus. A faith when you don't have all the answers. Faith that knows you can't see it all. 
Faith that comes to Jesus, like Jairus and the woman. A faith that brings you to your knees before his tenderness and power. And so what might that look for us as we look, I don't know, into 2024, into the rest of our lives? Here are two ideas. Desperate faith isn't afraid of pleading and trembling. Jairus and the woman were real people. And so I'm assuming here, but surely they had the same questions that we have when they're desperate. Where is God? Why is this happening? Why don't I understand? Jesus isn't ashamed of people who come to him with pleading and trembling. He welcomes it because he is tender. So pray to God with your trembling. Pray through your tears this year. Pray not because Jesus is a genie at your command, but because he is tender and powerful. Maybe you could write down a prayer, even this afternoon, that you can turn to when you know you won't have the words. And even if you don't have the right words, know that God's spirit speaks for you when you can't. Desperate faith doesn't need to be afraid of pleading and trembling prayers because Jesus isn't afraid of pleading and trembling prayers. And secondly, in your desperation, you can remind yourself of God's promises. One of the hardest things to do, one of the hardest things with this story, I think, is that Jesus heals a woman and raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. But that is not a promise that he extends to us. When we feel deep sadness or even anger about that, you can throw yourself onto the promises of God. As Peter says in John's Gospel, even in confusion and sadness, where else have we to go when you alone, Jesus, have words of eternal life? We can remind ourselves of the promise that God is faithful and just and will forgive every one of our sins through his great saving and healing work on the cross. We can know that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us, that his spirit lives in us and is working in us, that one day he will wipe away all tears. Remind yourselves of these promises. Ask others to remind you of these promises. Say them when you even, even when you don't fully believe them. And finally, a word uh, to anyone here this morning who isn't a Christian. Uh, you might be new, just visiting, giving St. James a try. Wondering why this guy is crying up the front. <laughs> you might be someone um, who's been coming for a long time, but you know deep down that you don't really have faith in Jesus. You've never actually wanted to rely on him. I'm sure you have questions about what faith in Jesus looks like, what it would look like to do it over the long term. I'm sure I haven't even touched on so many of those questions or only just touched on them. But let me ask you this. Do you think there's anyone else in this world who is as tender and as powerful as Jesus? The Jesus who we read about in the Bible. You might have questions, you might have doubts, and we'd love to help you explore those at an explore course by reading the Bible with you. But when it comes to questions and doubts, we all have them sometimes, I do. I'm sure Jairus and the woman did in this passage. Yet they had a desperate faith. They relied on Jesus even when it didn't make 100% sense. And so you can too. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for his tenderness and power, which by faith is for our salvation, for our rescue. Please help us rely on you even in desperate times. Please grow in us a desperate faith this year. 
Father, please be present with us. We are often wearied by the changes and chances of this fleeting world. Please help us to rest in your eternal changelessness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and by the power of your spirit. Amen.